And once again, I think primarily in evangelical circles, we've kind of missed the cruciform shaped life. And what I mean by that is that Jesus' work on the cross isn't just about atonement, but also it's a it's an example or a model for us of self-sacrifice and forgiveness and reconciliation and humility and suffering. I mean, all of that should be wrapped up in the cross. But once again, when we reduce our Christology down to just the atonement, we just miss all of that. And I, I think it, here's one way you could say it, our faith becomes transactional rather than transformative. Brad Briscoe, welcome back onto our podcast here with Into the Harvest. We are going to talk today about why our churches are weak because our understanding of Jesus is small. And before we dive into that, you've been on the show before, but for those who might not be familiar with you and your work, tell us a little bit about where you are in the world and uh, what your what your work is all about. Great. Yeah, it's good to be with you again, Andrew. Uh, well, it kind of in a nutshell, I've for about 24 years, I've worked for a group called the North American Mission Board. Uh, the church planting arm of the North American Mission Board is called the SEND Network. And uh, for about 17 years, I was a church planting catalyst with the SIN Network, which just meant I helped to recruit and train and resource and coach church planters, primarily in Kansas City. But then about four years ago, we actually moved to the Tampa Bay area, which is the Gulf side of Florida. And the last several years, I've been in two different roles, one that we call Director of Bivocational Church Planting. So I worked with bivocational and co-vocational planters around the, around the country. And then more recently, uh, director of a new team that we just call Multiplication Strategies. And that primarily is kind of an R&D department. So kind of like anything to do with church planting that's outside the kind of the traditional box uh, for planting, I'm, I'm very involved with that. So it still involves uh, a lot of work with co-vocational planters. So your work is very much centered on the church and specifically trying to help the church grow both in its health in local expressions, but also wanting to see the church grow in multiplying, in new churches being formed and taking root. And it sounds like maybe even in some non-traditional formats or expressions, would that be accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I do a lot of work with existing congregations trying to help them. The way I say it is activate all the people of God to engage in mission. And then hopefully a lot of that engagement will involve starting new things. And those new things are different expressions of church. Uh, I mean, some traditional kind of church planting, but also uh, planting of micro churches and businesses and just all kinds of kind of co-vocational expressions where the leader has a primary calling in the marketplace. But at the same time, they feel like God's calling them to start something. So I'm kind of involved in all those different worlds. Our conversation last year when you were on the podcast revolved around five shifts that the church needs to make in modern American life. So if folks want, they can go back and check out that conversation. You mentioned before we started recording that you have about 12 paradigm shifts that you believe we need to make as North American followers of Jesus, and especially in terms of how we understand and live as the church. But um, we're going to focus on maybe one of those shifts that perhaps is the is at the heart of of these uh, of this different way of understanding um, 
so that we're living more faithfully as the church and we're a healthier body of Christ in, in America. Thinking back to that conversation we had last year around five shifts the church needs to make, one thing I was struck by is that these shifts, a lot of them are what I would consider to be software shifts. You know, you think about hardware and software in an operating system. And sometimes I think we're so eager for the hardware shifts, like what do we need to do differently so that we're following Jesus more faithfully and we're more effective at growing the church. But a lot of those shifts were actually what I would describe as software shifts, changing the way that we think inside. And I believe that our conversation today is, is going to be similar. Yeah, man, that's spot on, Andrew. I think that's a very helpful metaphor to use. Uh, a lot of times what I'll talk about when I'm working with existing churches is I'm convinced we need to talk about the why before we talk about the what and the how. So as you said, a lot of times as pragmatic Americans, it's like, oh, just tell me what to do. But I don't think that change, I don't think even engaging in different like missionary behaviors and activities, we, we won't do that very well if it's not deeply rooted in some theological foundations or missiological foundations or the language I'll, I use a lot of time or paradigm shifts. I just think that if we've been kind of churched for a very long time, we have some deeply, deeply held assumptions that I think, to use your word, we need to rethink. Um, and that, that takes a little bit of time, but I think, yeah, the conversation we have today for me is kind of like the second key paradigm shift that needs to happen for, for most, uh, mo most Christians in North America today. Ooh, I like it. The second, the second, oh, we have to talk about the first one at some point too. <laughs> well, today we're going to talk about your church is weak because your Jesus is small. And I reached out to you after seeing a recent post that you made on the X platform, Twitter, but let me just read that as a way of getting started on this, this idea of a small Jesus. So you wrote, much of what ails the church is that we have reduced our understanding of Christology to just the cross, which of course is vital. But right. we, need a, we need to develop a more robust Christology that takes into account the incarnation, life, teaching, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. So there's a lot there. And of course, many folks are going to be listening to this. So let's start with what we mean by the word Christology. Of course, many of our listeners or viewers are familiar with that, but some may not be. So when you talk about having a reduced understanding of Christology, that's just limited to the cross, help us understand what you mean by that. Right. Well, I just think in a lot of evangelical circles, if you ask someone what comes to mind when you hear the word Christology or Christology, uh, they would say the cross. And like you said, absolutely, that should be the kind of the central point of our understanding of Christology. Uh, but and then most of the time when they say the cross, even then what they mean is it's it's like an atonement theory. In other words, how do we apply the work of, that Jesus did on the cross to our own individual lives. Mm. And once again, I would say the cross needs to be cent central, central, but I'm convinced that uh, there's a lot of things as the church, we don't understand mission and ministry fully because we don't have a robust Christology. And as you just said, there's an image that I created that says, look, it actually, I think it needs to start with the incarnation. It needs to include all the life and teachings of Jesus. Of course, it includes the cross, but it should also include the resurrection, the ascension, Pentecost, and the second coming. That all of those things together 
ought to inform or shape the way we think about our Christology, hmm. which will ultimately inform or shape the way we do mission. So would this be accurate? Help, help me out here. I'm trying to put it in my own words, and maybe this will be helpful for, for others, but it'll also give you a chance to uh, fine tune. When we talk about Christology or, or Christology, um, we're, we're talking about our understanding of the person of Jesus, the significance of his life, and its meaning for the way we live life today. Is that would that be close or what would you add or? Yeah. Yeah. The way, you know, I think that's excellent, Andrew. The, the way sometimes I'll frame it is I think most of the time when people hear that word Christology, mm-hmm. they think of the person and work of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I want to add the person work and ways of Jesus. I think there, there are, especially as it relates to the incarnation and the life and teachings of Jesus, I think there are the ways of Jesus, mm-hmm. unfortunately, haven't really influenced the way we think and behave as the church in North America. Mm. Again, it, we've reduced it down to atonement theories. We've, right. we've reduced it down to just the work of Jesus on the cross, which absolutely, we're not minimizing that, but I think it, it should also include not just the, the person and work of Jesus, but the person working ways of Jesus. We're gonna get into this image because when you made this post on the X platform, you did include a visual that I think is very helpful in understanding how all of those aspects of the life, person, and mission of Jesus uh, come to play. But maybe before we we shift into exploring that that visual and the, the timeline that it tries to, to capture, you know, we can we can stick with this idea of a reduced or um, a reductionist Christology. I read a book by a gentleman by the name of P.T. Chandapia. I think I'm saying his name right, but I'm not sure. Uh, I think he wrote this back in the 60s or 70s, and he was an evangelist in India. So the book was translated and it was called The Master Trainer. And it was really his study and exploration, especially of the earthly ministry of Christ. So before the cross. But what was interesting is he he highlighted very similar. The book was very similar to uh, a lot of our listeners who are probably familiar with Dr. Robert Coleman's book, The Master Plan of Evangelism. So this was in a similar vein in terms of what the author was trying to do. What I appreciated about it was that he started with some some preliminary traits of Jesus or qualities of the life and ministry of Jesus before he even dove into, okay, how Jesus actually went about his earthly work. And those two preliminary qualities were what he called incarnation and identification. And so before we can really even understand the life of Jesus, we need to understand the significance of incarnation that that Jesus chose to come to come into the physical world um, and that he initiated that. And it was the, the, the higher spiritual being choosing to take take the, the lead in coming to the the lower us you know the created beings and then identification was that he came in a way that we could understand that that we could actually make sense of it he didn't just he did not just come as this oh you know you, you hear stories in the bible where people are drawn up into heaven and they're overwhelmed by the glory of god well jesus came as one of us he identified with us he took on flesh and blood you know hebrews talks about this that since the children share in flesh and blood 
he himself likewise also took on the same. Philippians, Paul talks about this as well. So with this idea of incarnation, is, is that what you're getting at in terms of before we even get into the cross, we need to start with the, the pre-existing life of Christ, pre-existing his earthly life. Yeah, exactly, Andrew. That, again, just spot on, I think. And, you know, part of the, the background of me just reflecting on this so much and creating that image uh, is that, you know, when we we're talking about paradigm shifts a minute ago, that one of those key paradigm shifts I just call incarnational mission. And what I mean by that is that I think we need to think differently about mission because the church in North America, when we think of mission, we typically think about going over there engaging in mission and then coming back to where we live. But I think, and I just struggled one day thinking like, why do we do that? Like mm. why and how do we get away with like keeping people at an arm's distance? Like I, I do mission when I go over there and then I'm going to come back to my like safe enclave. And I, after reflecting on that mm. more, I thought, well, part of it is because we haven't allowed the incarnation of Jesus to truly influence the way we think about mission. So I think when we think about mission, and it doesn't mean that we won't go other places to engage in mission, but first and foremost, we should incarnate into the places God has sent us. We ought to inhabit. And that only happens if we really allow the incarnation of Jesus to inform our posture towards our context. So I, you, you just use the word with. I think that's a huge emphasis that we don't do ministry to people. We don't do mm -hmm. ministry for people. We do ministry with people. We do mission with people. Like an, another word I love is solidarity, that we do mission in solidarity with people. And, you know, there's two P words I use a lot of times that just try to like flesh that out a little bit as it relates to incarnation. It's the word proximity and presence. Mm -hmm. So proximity simply means we cannot do, we cannot love and serve the people God has sent us to from a distance. So, you know, thank goodness Jesus wasn't just in close proximity to us, but then the second P word is presence. Like you said, he, Emmanuel, right? God with us. He, you know, God took on human flesh and he dropped into like our <laughs> muck and mire right. and, and he, he was with us. So I think sometimes as it relates to that paradigm shift idea, I think we need to allow the incarnation of Jesus to inform our posture. So we we take responsibility for our neighborhood we take responsibility for the, our workplace we take responsibility for the the social spaces that we inhabit during the week and i just i'm convinced none of that really happens if we don't allow the incarnation to really influence us you know i love uh, john chapter 1 verse 14 you know uh the passage where it talks about jesus came and uh, took on flesh. Jesus came to, to tabernacle with us. I love Eugene Peter Peterson's paraphrase of that in the message. He renders that verse like this. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Mm. For me, that's a beautiful New Testament picture of incarnational presence that we, we ought to, in a sense, like move into the neighborhood as Jesus lives in us and through us. So that was part of the initial thought about trying to create a more robust or comprehensive Christology is to say, yes, the incarnation of Jesus should inform the way we think of mission and ministry. Hmm. And then just last thing I'll say there is then the continuation, as you just mentioned, the life and teachings of Jesus ought to 
also inform the way we think of, of mission. Right. You know, we ought to look at the love and compassion of Jesus. We ought to see that Jesus was a servant. We ought to see that Jesus was radically hmm. hospitable and inclusive, that Jesus prayed before he went into mission. You know, there was this sacrificial love. It's just like over and over and over again, there's attributes of, of the person of Jesus and the ways of Jesus that should inform how we think of mission and ministry. But when we reduce when we deuce Christology down to just the cross, we miss out on all of that. We, mm-hmm. we miss out on, on the ways of Jesus informing uh, who we are as, of, as Jesus followers. I want to shift here in just a little bit to talking about how this, how this goes about or, or how this reduced understanding of Christ does lead to a weak faith in our own lives, a weak church here in our, our local settings. Let me just, and then, and then we will definitely link to your post, but also the visual that, that you created, because I want to explore that as well. But let me read this again. You say, much of what ails the church is that we have reduced our understanding of Christology to just the cross. And again, your church is weak because your Jesus is small. So how did we get there? I mean, has it always been this way with the church where there's been a struggle to hang on to this more robust understanding of Christ? Or is this more of a modern phenomenon? Well, that's a good question. I don't know. I have a great answer for it. I do think it's somewhat modern. I mean, I do think that we have, you know, probably in the last 500 years and and maybe even more with uh, evangelicalism coming out of the Protestant Reformation where, you know, one of the primary tenets of, of evangelicalism is the atoning work of Jesus on the cross and the individual application of that work. And again, we've said it already a couple of times, we're not minimizing that, but we just miss the life and teachings of Jesus if we just focus on the work of Jesus. So I do think it's a fairly, I mean, I can't imagine that, you know, the early church, um, you know, they were influenced by those attributes that we talked about, we, the way Jesus lived uh, when he was on, on the earth. And uh, I'm just afraid we, we often are not focused on that enough. Right. And I, even, I would even say, I, I think this is fair, that there are some kind of tribes or denominations that probably spend, again, it's probably a generalization and maybe this isn't fair, but spend the majority of their time in scripture in, in the Pauline epistles rather than the gospels. Mm-hmm. So I do think one of the, one of the solutions is that we, we need to spend more time in the gospels. Um, I think we, we need to just immerse ourselves in the four gospels for a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. And as we do that, we, we need to examine and look closely at the ways of Jesus, not just the person and work of Jesus. So, um, yeah, I think that's a great question, but I, I do think for the most part, it's, it's a fairly, uh, recent phenomenon. <laughs> well, I hope folks will maybe put an asterisk on this and hang on to it that that one of one thing that I would want folks to question coming out of this conversation is do is my understanding of Jesus as robust as it should be or is it in some ways artificially reduced just because of the time that we live in and some of these uh, traditions that I think have come out of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, you know, perhaps an over um, an overcorrection 
which is so common in, in human experiences right. that we're, we're trying to recapture the centrality of the sufficient, the, the, the atonement and what it accomplished, how it was right. everything that needed to happen in terms of paying the penalty for sin. And yet lost in there perhaps is uh, some of the rest of what we need to understand about Jesus and faith uh, by studying all of who he is. You know, I, I think of Paul's words and, and I believe it's Colossians where he says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, not just right. all the treasures of salvation, but all right, the treasures exactly. of wisdom. Right. And there's a lot to learn it's and glean from Christ. And then Jesus himself, when he told his disciples in the upper room, I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. So right. yes, he That's came good. as the lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. That's kind of what we're talking about. If we only understand Christ and his work through the cross, then it's, it's true. And it's, it's absolutely part of Christology, but we want to explore these other aspects. And maybe that's a, a good transition point to talk about this visual because you went out of your way to create something that might help us begin to develop a more robust Christology. So if you could walk us through these different aspects of the person of Christ and like you said, his words and his ways. Well, yeah, and it's pretty simple. And again, I hope we can link to this so people can see it and, and they can screenshot it or whatever they want to do with it, Andrew. But I think with the incarnation, for me, it's that, that Jesus is with and for creation. I mean, hmm. there, there's this, see if I can remember, there's this fantastic quote from Daryl Guter, who's a, a, a Presbyterian a missiologist. A, I mean, one of the most famous books on around missional church it was out probably 15 years ago. He was the editor. It's just called The Missional Church. But Guter has a fabulous little book called the, uh, man, we, I think it's called The Incarnation and Witness of the Church. But it's a little about 90 page book. It's brilliant. But there's this one line. He uses two sentences in that book. Um, man, I wish I would have been prepared. Hold on. I'm to, Googling. Uh, I'm Googling as we uh, pull keep... this up. Yeah, I can. I can find this. But, <laughs> but Guter, um, I think he's, he says like this. One, one of the things we that God reveals to us about himself in the incarnation is that he was with and for creation. So that's the first sentence. So Guter is saying, hey, in the incarnation, one of the things we learn about God is that he is with and he is for his creation, right? So I'm going to say that one more time. Just like reflect on that, that statement for a minute. So one of the things we learn about God in the incarnation of Jesus is that God is with us, right? We've already said that, Emmanuel, but he's for us. Hmm. Like he, and he's not just for us, he's for creation, right? And then here's the second sentence. He says, now as the risen Lord has ascended, he's empowered the church to be with and for creation. Hmm. So I just remember hmm. the first time I read that years ago, I just thought it was so powerful that, that Guter was saying that in the incarnation of Jesus, God reveals this about himself, that he's with and for creation, but now it's us. As, as the, the missionary people of God, that Jesus has empowered us through the gifts. And now we are to be with and for creation. Hmm. And again, I just don't think a lot of times as the church, we, we don't think of ourselves as being for 
the other. We're, and, and we're not with the other. But I, mm -hmm. again, I think part of the reason we miss that is that we don't focus enough on the incarnation. Mm -hmm. And then we've already talked to quite a bit about, then, you know, there's an arrow coming down that incarnation, I just say, with and for creation. And there's a horizontal arrow that kind of represents all the life and, and teachings of Jesus or the ways of Jesus. And we've already talked about this. Go, go ahead, Andrew. Yeah, let me let me jump in here real quick, because mm -hmm. as you were sharing, first of all, I love it because, you know, our ministry and this podcast, they're called Into the Harvest. Mm -hmm. And it really fits exactly with what you're talking about, that that we aren't we aren't called to just separate from the world. That's right. And, That's right. you know, kind of go into our sacred spaces and, and hold out until the, the return of Christ or whatever, whatever's coming death. Um, but we're, we're called to be sent out. We're, we're called to be in the harvest and among the right. people of this world. And then even just thinking about the incarnation, what, what we're really talking about is God taking on flesh and blood, God taking on a body and entering this material world. And isn't it interesting that that's what he calls the church, that we are the body right. of Christ. We that, are the body. That's not an accident. I don't think that, that that's right. At the very heart of who we are, like you said, is to be to with is to be with and for God's creation and the people that's around right. us. Yeah. And I think, good, you know, I've, I've never talked to Daryl Guter about this, but I think he was very purposeful in using the, the word creation and not just us, mm. that, that God is for all of creation. Right. Um, so, yeah. So then the rest of the image just talk, you know, it, it, the, the life and teachings of Jesus, of course, the cross uh, and even the cross, though, I want to add not just atonement, which absolutely atonement. But I think it's helpful for us to include, I just called it a cruciform shaped life. And once again, I think primarily in evangelical circles, we've kind of missed the cruciform shaped life. And what I mean by that is that Jesus' work on the cross isn't just about atonement, but also it's, a, it's an example or a model for us of self-sacrifice and forgiveness and reconciliation and humility mm -hmm. and suffering. I mean, all of that should be wrapped up in the cross. But once again, when we reduce our Christology down to just the atonement, um, we just miss all of that. And mm -hmm. I, I think it, you know, our faith becomes, here's one way you could say it, our faith becomes transactional mm -hmm. rather than transformative. And I think when we, when we examine a more robust Christology, uh, our lives have the opportunity to truly be transformed and not just for our own sake, but for the sake of God's mission or for the sake of the world. So um, just there's just so much that's kind of packed into that image. And, and then, of course, the resurrection speaks to all things new. The ascension, for me, goes back to the empowerment of the church. It, for me, I didn't put this in the image. I just said giving of gifts. But what I'm referring to there is Ephesians chapter 4. I think at the ascension... Jesus gives these gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, uh, which are gifts. They're not offices. They're not roles. These are gifts. They're people and they're not leaders. It's a body. It's a body text where all those gifts are given to continue the work of the body. And then finally, the last two statements in the image is Pentecost, where the church now is empowered to be for and with creation. And then the second coming, just I think you know, when we think of that as relates to mission, it's a re it's the recreation of all things, but also it ought to bring just a great sense of, of, of hope and new creation. Mm. Um, mm. 
so there's just a lot wrapped up there that, again, I just think we 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 need to not make things smaller. We right. need to actually make things bigger. So this is part of where I think that software hardware analogy comes in. If we just try to jump straight to hardware and we we don't begin yes. here with the software, you know, even even to your point about incarnation, I don't want to take us too far back. But um, if you think about, you know, being with and for. So that's a software um, yeah. statement, right? So anything, any action, any hardware that I'm living out that serves to move me away from the people here that, that God came to, to save or um, colors my thinking and my behavior in a way that is not for those people is a sign that there's, you know, something wrong with the software. There's, there's some sort of um, yes. corruption of the way I'm thinking and, and my behavior will bear that out because I have misunderstood or, or I haven't quite grasped the, the implications of the incarnation. And I think I wanted to ask you this too. And so uh, you can comment on either one of these, but when we think about the cruciform shaped life, do you think that's what Jesus was getting at when he said that if anyone would come after me, um, let him take up his cross, um, deny himself and take up his cross? You know, that's actually been something I've thought about. Like, what, what does that really, what does that mean? What does that look like? That obviously Jesus is the only one who needed to be on the cross. So what does right. it mean that I am going to have to take up a cross to, to follow him. Do you think it gets to this idea of this cruciform shaped life? Oh, I, I do. Now, again, to say, is that what he meant by it? I don't know, but <laughs> I, I, we can actually absolutely make implication and applications that it has to do with self-sacrifice and forgiveness and reconciliation mm. and humility, right? Mm. All of that is wrapped up in the cross and, and of course, suffering. <laughs> and mm. again, we just we just miss that. I mean, I, if, if we don't, and you know, we said it over and over again, if we don't have a, a broader view of Christology and, uh, the, and those are the things, again, as I just said a few minutes ago, those, those are the things that are transformative instead of it just being this transactional, he did this for me. I just need to receive it and accept it. And like, you know, and then I can just, like you said earlier, I'll just hold on, you know, it, I don't, I don't think that's what, Hmm. That, that's what Jesus is calling us to do. So I think when I saw this post, it jumped out to me because several years back, I was studying the topic of the gospel. Well, what is the good news? And probably the biggest thing, and actually, this is what um, this was the unlock for me, Brad, is as I was studying the book of Acts, one of the ways that I studied the gospel is I studied the, the book of Acts and I realized that the book of Acts is unique in that we it's the only place that we have in the New Testament scriptures where we see the gospel actually being proclaimed. So Jesus tells them, you know, go out into all the nations and, and preach the gospel. And then we have books like Romans, which do an amazing job of breaking down the, the gospel. I would say explaining the gospel uh, to us as God's people. But with the book of Acts, we actually see the gospel being proclaimed. So, so it's, it's like, well, what did they actually say? <laughs> and so um, when, when you begin to study that, 
what it did is it, it did for me, my understanding of the gospel, I think what you're trying to motivate us to do with our understanding of Christ himself, which is expanded. And so my, right. my working definition of the gospel is that the gospel is God's message of good news concerning his son, Jesus. And you could just stop right there, but if you wanted to flesh that out a little bit more, you would say it's God's message. It's God's message of good news concerning his Jesus. <laughs> it's God's message of good news concerning his son, Jesus, who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, what he will do and yeah. how we can be part of it. And when you expand the good news beyond just what he has done, which kind of takes right. us back to the cross. And that's most of when we think about the gospel, we're right. limiting our understanding of that to part of the gospel, which is an, like you, you made the point, is a hugely important part of the gospel. But the gospel is more than that. The gospel also involves what Jesus is doing right now in building his church, giving us time for repentance, upholding the universe by the word of his power. There's a lot Jesus is doing right now right. that is good news. <laughs> And what he will do is what we're still looking forward to. And this this really gets to on your visual, the, the return of Christ. So I think it kind of jumped off the page at me because it makes sense that if if we have an incomplete understanding of the gospel or of Jesus, we're just going to we've got missing software like we, we have some good stuff in there, but it's not going to be sufficient for us to follow and be transformed right. the way that God's calling us to yeah, no, that's, I love that. That's excellent. So with this, um, with these arrows, I don't want to read too much, you know, visuals are probably like parables. You can probably stretch them too far, but, uh, <laughs> yes. but you do have yes. some arrows going there. What's, was the significance of, or is there any in terms of, you know, downward, upward? Not really, other than just, you know, obviously the incarnation is coming down, the res resurrection arrows going up. Uh, Pentecost is coming down, you know, the sending of the spirit. So, yeah, I wouldn't want to read too much into it. I guess part of it, too, is I wanted to emphasize the the one horizontal arrow mm -hmm. of the life and teachings of Jesus to say this is significant. Like this, this is a long period of time here and we need to spend time uh, digesting that, reflecting on that. Um, again, as you said earlier, kind of the attributes of Jesus, but also what did Jesus teach? You know, so. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to read too much into the arrows. The main thing is I, it's like, what are some of those other categories? If we're going to talk about a more comprehensive, robust Christology, what what else do we need to be thinking about in addition to the cross? OK, that's good. We've clarified that so no one no one gets confused and takes too much <laughs> from uh, from the arrows. One of the point that you made in your post was that much of what ails the modern church. So I guess what's at stake if if we fail to develop this more full, robust understanding of Jesus, his words, his ways. Um, how do we see that, be, you know, maybe malforming us as the church right. today? Yeah, there's a lot there, I think. But let me I give you one example and uh, see if this is helpful. Uh, is I think, again, what we kind of started our conversation, Andrew, talking about the why or the software within what are the implications of this when we move into the water, the how, or, mm -hmm. or the hardware. And I think, um, here, here's an example. When we really look at the life and teachings of Jesus, we see that Jesus was, as I said earlier, radically inclusive. He was radically hospitable. Mm -hmm. But the church in North America, uh, I, I think this is fair to say, we are not very 
inclusive and we're not very hospitable. And I think um, if we're really going to engage a culture that is less and less interested in the programs activity of the church, we're going to have to go where people are and we're going to we are going to have to be radically hospitable. I think I think uh, biblical hospitality is a just a key like missionary activity and we're not very good at it. And part of the reason is because we're we're not informed by the life of Jesus. And and again, to go back to what we've already said a couple of times, if it, if if the if our Christology is just about us getting saved and going to heaven instead of hell, then what motivation do we have to be radically hospitable and, and, and actually do life with people and invite people into our lives? Mm. Um, I just think that's, you know, hospitality, sharing meals, inclu- it, it being inclusive relationally with people. Um, it, we just don't get there as a church uh, mm. if, it, if, if we're not informed by the incarnation and the life mm. of Jesus. And, and when I say what kind of ails the church, I'm just saying because more and more people are less and less interested in the ways of the church, mm. I think part of it's because we have kind of lived in a, in a sense in kind of a holy huddle rather than really thinking about what does it look like to activate all the people of God to engage in people outside the walls of the church, where we live, where we work, where we hang out. Um, I just think that is like at the foundation of uh, training our people to think and act like missionaries, um, that it, you know, G- Jesus has given us a model of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we just, we just haven't looked to Jesus very often. So, you know, um, a little image that I, I remember just kind of transformed the way I thought about church and mission and ministry, uh, came from a book probably 15 years ago, the shaping of things to come by Alan Hirsch and Mike Frost. And I still, I remember there's this image they have in the book of three boxes, and the first box says Christology, and there's an arrow that goes to the second box that says missiology, and there's an arrow that goes to the third box that says ecclesiology. Mm. And their point in the book is to say our understanding of Jesus, or as we've said, the person working ways of Jesus mm. should determine or influence our missiology, the way we think of mission and do mission, and then that should influence or determine our ecclesiology or the way we do church. Well, I remember the first time I saw that, like 15 years ago, I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, <laughs> I've got it backwards. Right. Like I start with church, like I would go visit a church or I would go to a church planning conference and I would think, oh, I want to plan a church like that over here. Hmm. I would start with church. But they were saying, no, if we really start with the person working ways of Jesus and then let let the incarnation and life of Jesus inform or shape the way we do mission. Right. And then let's let the church be birthed out of that. And if we did that, I think there ought to be lots of wild and wonderful and beautiful expressions of the church. But instead, when we start with church, every single church like looks like every other church. So I just think for me, that's a practical example of how reducing the way we understand Christology uh, leads the church to to. Uh, just not be as effective as, right. as as we should be and could be. Yeah, that's a great pathway to start with Christ and then allow what the scriptures have revealed to us and what the coming of Christ reveals to us about his person, allow that to shape our our sense of mission and purpose in the world. Yes. So because we understand these truths about who Jesus is, it helps us understand 
what we're supposed to be doing. And then that, those things together really help shape our understanding and uh, faithful uh, living out of the church, you know, the ecclesiology, again, some of our listeners might not, might not right. be familiar with that word, but it's just the study of the church. What does it mean to be the right. church? How do we live faithfully as the church? Well, we're never going to be able to discern that if we don't have this sense of who Jesus is and what his, his mission is all about. Those things really drive our understanding and our practice yeah. of church. Yeah, that's a great su summation right there. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, um, I, I really appreciate the the insights and the, and the focus on Jesus. Um, you know, I was thinking as we were having this conversation, I do want to try to leave folks with some some ideas about how they can begin to cultivate a more robust uh, Christology. You know, one of my deeply held convictions is that who Jesus is defines who we are. And sort of saying the same thing that, that you just took us through, that if we just try to figure out who we are and why we're here and then offer that to God, I, I think we're going to miss it. <laughs> we have to start with Jesus and then allow him to define um, who we are, both in response to him, but also in imitation to him. So what I mean by that is the number one way that people regarded Jesus and understood him during his earthly life was as teacher. Jesus was a teacher. I mean, even his enemies recognized that he had a message right. that he was trying to spread. In fact, I've just been reading in Luke's gospel about the religious leaders bringing Jesus before Pilate, the, the civil governor, the Roman governor of that province. And their accusation was that this man travels around from Galilee all the way down to here, teaching the people and stirring them up, you know. So uh, the accusation was that this guy's teaching all over the place and he's uh, his message is stirring people up in a way that isn't uh, a good thing for the, the Roman authorities. So Jesus was a teacher. That's who he is. Well, what does that what does that say to me? Well, I need to be a student. I need to have a learner's attitude because if Jesus is a teacher, uh, that defines who I am in response to him. But once we yeah. know that Jesus is also calling me to become like him, um, it also means that I need to learn how to share. I need to learn how to communicate this, this faith, these things that he's teaching me and pass them, pass them on to others. So and I was thinking about where folks can start to begin cultivating this robust Christology. I think one might be this image which we'll definitely have in the show notes so uh, folks can, can check this out. Because what you're really doing here is you are highlighting not everything that there is to learn about Jesus, but several very important aspects of his life, his ways that we need to perhaps spend more time uh, developing an understanding of, perhaps even studying the scriptures. You know, what, what are the implications for the incarnation? You know, what... What are the implications for the the life of Jesus that's revealed in the Gospels? Any other um, any other suggestions that you might have that would help people or churches? Well, I would just say, just immerse yourself in the Gospels. I, I haven't done this for a while, but I actually created a group. Uh, we we did this twice. I've created a Facebook group that we just called the Gospel Experiment, and for six weeks, uh, I had everybody read through the Gospels. All, all four Gospels every week, once a week. So then by the end of the six weeks, they read through all four of the Gospels six hmm. times. And I created a closed Facebook group where people would just share insights and things that they had seen 
that maybe they hadn't seen before. So I would just say, figure out some way, do it with a group, do it with some other people, but immerse yourself in the gospels mm. over and over and over and over again. And then the other just simple thing I, I would encourage you is there's a lot of wonderful books out there that are just about Jesus and read other things. You read what other people are, are writing about Jesus. Um, one of my favorite, I've mentioned uh, Alan Hirsch and Michael Frost. They've got a book called Read Jesus. Hmm. And, I, and I think that's, a, that's kind of a fun uh, w- w- word or phrase is that we do need to be read Jesus over and over and over again. We, hmm. In a sense, we need to like recalibrate back to the ways of Jesus on a constant basis. So their book, Read Jesus, I think is a good one. But there's lots of lots of really helpful and good books out there uh, that just really kind of focus on the life and teachings of Jesus. Yeah, we'll, we'll put a link to that and also to the the book by Mr. Guter, The Incarnation and the Church's yeah. Witness. Put a link in that to the show notes. I would also put out a, a plug. <laughs> we, have a, we have a series of resources that are in the process of being published. These aren't available right now, but... Um, we have a three-part series that is in the process of being published. It'll be available at our End of the Harvest website. They'll also be available on Amazon.com. But the first, it's, it's a three-part series called the Pathway Series. And mm-hmm. book one is Discovering Jesus, um, the call to recognize Christ. Book two is Becoming a Disciple, the call to respond to Christ. And book three is Passing on the Faith, The Call to Represent Christ. And that first book is a deep dive, Discovering Jesus, The Call to Recognize Christ. It's a deep dive into much of what we're talking about on this uh, episode. So I wish I could provide a link to folks. They could get it right away, but you'll have to wait a couple of months. It should be out by the uh, the end of March, early April. So that's something that um, that I hope folks will be able to check out and benefit from in, in the weeks ahead. Brad, any any last thoughts from you on this topic of developing a robust Christology? Anything that you would want to leave our listeners with? No, I guess just again, once you immerse yourselves in the Gospels, then be asking then what like what does this look like for me to live out practically? Again, we kind of started by talking about we need to talk about these paradigm shifts or the why, and then but let your missionary behaviors and activities be and really be informed by the ways of Jesus. And I think. you know, I think we said this before we jumped on, Andrew, kind of jokingly, sometimes I'll say whatever the question is, the answer is always more Jesus. So yes. we can't go we can't go wrong if if we're re-Jesusing and uh, focusing more and more on the person working ways of, of Jesus. You know, the passage that came to my mind as you were sharing that was Philippians 2, where Paul tells he, he mm. challenged the people of his time. And I think us as well to have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he he walks through the uh, not just the attitude, but the actions that flowed out of that attitude yeah, that Jesus yeah. was willing to take. And I don't think it's an accident that it flows right into a very famous challenge to work out our salvation with uh, with fear and trembling, because as we study Jesus and we seek to develop the same attitude we see in him in our own lives, that really is what it means to to work out this salvation that we've we've been given through Jesus. Brad, I encourage people to follow you on X or Twitter. You're always putting out great stuff there. Um, you also blog over, tell us the, the, the name of your blog and, and yeah, how people just, can interact with your work. Yeah, probably the best, like you said, uh, on X or Twitter uh, quite a bit, but then uh, missionalchurchnetwork.com. It's just my personal blog. So I try to post there a good bit. 
And then also just because of the work that I do in kind of the co-vocational church planning area, I, there's actually a closed Facebook group that I started a couple of years ago, just called co-vocational church planting. And now I think there's probably over 1700 people that are a part of that group. And I, hmm. I post in there quite a bit. Um, and the, the majority of the people that are in that group are bivocational or co-vocational. Many of them are church planters. So if any of that, it's just a great place. There's so much experience and expertise in that group or that. So if, uh, yeah, if any of those topics are, are of interest, I'd say uh, go and, uh, and join that particular group. Yeah. Uh, is that something that we could link to or the, the closed group? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. I would just have to, if they, if they go there, they just have to ask to, to be right. uh, added to the group. And then I just have to approve that. Yeah. It sounds like that could be a great resource for yep. folks that are in that setting and, and yep. seeking to be co-vocational in that way. Brad, thank you so much for coming on the show again and sharing with us much of what the Lord has been teaching you. And I look forward to having you on again in the future. You bet. I always enjoy the conversation, Andrew. 